Welcome to the Millennial Recruiter Podcast, the podcast for forward-thinking recruiters that want to achieve success in both an ethical and sustainable way. I'm your host, Ben Shorter. In this episode, I get to interview Claire Mohammed. Claire is literally one of the go-to people within the recruitment industry in terms of training high-performing recruiters. So not only is Claire spent most of her career either being a top-performing recruiter or training top-performing recruiters, but she recently co-founded L&D 2.0, which brings all the top recruitment trainers together. In this episode, we're going to explore what really creates high performance and how you can apply certain tools and tips to become more resilient and gain more success. I hope you enjoy and stay tuned for more episodes. Cool, Claire. Thank you so much for joining me on the Millennial Recruiter. How are you doing today? You all right? I am very good. Very good. How's things with you today? Very good, thank you. Very good. And it's been great to speak to you and get to know you. So obviously, you're part and one of the co-founders of probably the, the best community for L&D practitioners within recruitment. How did you guys come up with the idea for L&D 2.0? Well... I think it's really, really easy when you are um, in a role where there might only be one person in the company who does what you do mm-hmm. to be, you know, working quite isolated and not, not being part of your own tribe. Um, I know um, for me, I, I realized um, a few years ago, I was like, I'm actually in a network with anybody who does what I do. And I, it suddenly occurred to me that it was the most ridiculous thing. Ever. So I, I'd already started on this journey of reaching out to people that I really liked in business. Um, it could be CEOs of recruitment businesses. It could be heads of marketing. It could be people who used to be in recruitment who then, you know, were, were, were in really good roles, but in a different industry. And I'm just going to build my own network. And then um, Hannah kind of keep got in touch with me yeah. and said, look, I'm thinking about doing this network. Um, do you want to help me do it? I was like, I mean, I'm so in. I'm yes, you you are you are saying what I am thinking. I am in all the way. Didn't know what it looked like. Um, and yeah, and it, within maybe a week or so, um, the four of us, Hannah, Katie, um, Sid, and I had formed a business, um, set up the bare bones of a strategy. We hadn't even met. I'd never met Hannah up until that point. Yeah. Um, I hadn't met Katie. I'd met Sid, and we 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 got all of this together and we met in Bristol and then we we kind of said oh my god this is this is what's happening this is what we're doing (laughs) yeah perfect but for us it was all very much around bringing people together who who all share um something that they're really really passionate about in recruitment you know and people in L&D recruitment they care so much about helping other people succeed and be the best that they can be and to have a career in recruitment not just a stopgap and something that they come in or something that they, is really hard for them we want people to succeed in our industry um so to build a tribe of people who feel that way i think that's quite special definitely definitely i think it shows a big part about the industry where effectively you've got a community that has pretty much most of the main trainers within the uk market like i certainly see i, I look through it and it's crazy that Obviously, we're in quite a competitive industry, yeah. yet you've got a group where there are lots of people that are competing, whether it's internal organisations that would compete with each other or external like yeah. freelancers or business owners such as myself. 
how important or how, like, how, why is it working so well? Because obviously, like people typically are seen as we're in a competitive industry. Yet you've brought a group of people together where like, people are competing. Yet, like there is so much value going on within that. How, why do you think it's working so well? Because people want to collaborate. They don't want to. Um, people love to compete. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I am. I am super competitive. Um, but there's, you know, if you think about it, there's what, over thirty thousand recruitment agencies in the UK, and of course, we all know that a lot of those agencies might be one or two people that are working for themselves um, and carving out their own living um, for themselves. It's still a huge, but there's thousands of agencies, and there, there is probably somewhere in the region of. 250 maybe 300 top trainers yeah. in the uk and that's the freelance and the in-house market um and that's a lot of those people in-house are, are performing dual roles that they're, they're recruiting as well as um running training sessions i, I don't i think I've, I've overestimated i think the number of trainers so there's a huge amount of opportunity um for people to come together and to share ideas and still succeed you know it's not a dog eat dog world that there is a market enough for everybody um and i think you know different people have different strengths as somebody in lmd as a trainer you know maybe somebody's a sourcing trainer or a technical trainer or contract or perm or in a particular or it could be temps or construction it could be market-led so many different opportunities to develop an expertise in in training what we're doing is we're saying we're all people that actually are really driven to help businesses perform um, to the best that they can through their people and all we're doing is we're, we're just coming together and saying like how can we how can we do it better together and you know make our industry better and how can um you know not only make the industry better how can we better serve the people in the industry you know it's one of the most frustrating things to see retention figures in our industry be so high, yeah. um, something's very wrong there. That there's some, there's a lot wrong with that. That, that the figures that um, you know happen, and, and of course it varies from industry to industry. But you know, forty percent, fifty percent attrition—that's huge. Um, you know, we're all people that want to make a difference and impact that, and, and keep great people in our industry because that's only going to serve our industry better. Definitely, definitely. I think it also goes to show like a big point about how the industry's changed. Like, as you said, there is that space now to be both competitive and collaborative at the same yeah. time. We, we always want to do better amongst ourselves, but we can do it by having positive competition. As you said, the, the market is a growing market. Ultimately, we can speak to our competition and there's still enough for all of us. Well, yeah, and that's where you, you know, you get the opportunity to, to improve through collaboration, through diversity of thought, through thinking about, you know, what one person might have said and then building on that. Um, you know, creativity is great when you're working on your own, but, you know, it's much better when you can build on somebody else's idea. I mean, you have to, of course, you're going to give credit where, where it comes from, but you know, through that collaboration and building on different approaches, different ideas that we're going to take things forward. I think the time is absolutely now where our industry is innovating and um, the whole of our industry is innovating, but so is the world of L&D. Yeah. You know, I think it was, um, it, it was somebody else who said it, not me, but they were talking about how 
two of the biggest disruptors for learning and development um, did not come from L&D most recently. Mm. It came from TED, TED Talks, and it came from YouTube. It came from technology, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's crazy. So, you know, um, there is so much opportunity to innovate in what we do and how we do it and who we do it for and how the industry works overall. So I think the more, more collaboration that happens, the better. It's only going to drive us forward more. Definitely. It's funny talking about sort of innovation. Like I was recently speaking to a company that spent a lot of money on effectively like a, a model where they were training people within their industry. So they specialize in data science and they run a training uh, scheme for people that are master's degree students within that. And obviously they found that later on what happens is those people become decision makers and those people have a positive experience with the agency and they'll go back again. What other sort of innovations do, are you seeing at the moment within our industry? Oh, crikey. I don't even know where to start. I mean, our industry in L&D, our industry in recruitment. I think we're going to talk about recruitment though, yeah. more than L&D. Um, I mean, a huge amount. If we think about how 2020 has started and the impact that that's had on accelerating the future of work, yeah. uh, it's just immense um you know things that were already starting to emerge so things like um remote working flexible working um remote processes video interviewing um remote onboarding the technology was there before yeah. you know that this <laughs> they've not emerged in 2020 they were there before what's happened in 2020 is now we've had to rethink well actually we've had to reimagine how could our industry become virtual? Yep. Because it had to through necessity. And we all know necessity is the mother of invention um, and being forced to you know, be creative and, and think of new ways um, of how you can work. So I think there's a big shift initially right now where people are through necessity, embracing things like remote onboarding, remote working, uh, flexible working, I mean, I said to you, Ben, you know, don't be surprised if uh, a five-year-old comes trotting in behind me. He may well do. He might say hello. He might not. Who knows? Um, but even, even those kind of um, ways of having an insight into people's people are more authentic. You get to come into my kitchen today. You know, I get to see into your um, lounge. I think it might be. We're just everything's shifting at the moment yeah. so in terms of how is it going to innovate i think we will probably embrace some of the technology a little bit more openly we'll embrace some of the we will accelerate in the future of work remote practices flexible working um, becoming more virtual in how we we work um, i think our industry will evolve, will evolve in some of the models the recruitment models that we 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 use, you know, we've had traditional contingency, traditional um, business models that are in place, but I think they are they are set to disrupt. You know, there are some business models that are putting people on site um, and that it's a totally different payment solution. I think we're about to see more of those things happen. Um, and I think the way that talent is engaged with our clients is set to change as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Whether that's the gig economy or whatever it might be, I think all of that's about to change. So, yeah, 
we are going to see a lot of significant changes, I think. Now, obviously, like one thing you mentioned before was attrition rates. Like it is very high within our industry, yet we have so much potential to offer innovative solutions that really like add value to our clients. Why do you think, as an industry, we do struggle to, to retain people, particularly early on in their careers? A million dollar question, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a whole host of reasons, isn't it? You know, um, for a lot of people, they didn't necessarily understand. It might be one of their first roles yeah. in their career. And, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, you don't know what it's like to work in, a, in an industry until you get, get involved. And it's very easy in recruitment to see the idea of the opportunity, whether that's, you know, high earnings or, um, lifestyle and holidays and all of the the glory that comes through high performance um but the reality of it is is very different in that it's you know you don't get there through luck you get there through a lot of hard work through a lot of disappointment um being tested a huge amount and that's not for everyone yeah you know it really it really isn't and i think what we've to traditionally I think we're getting better but I think traditionally we've not been very good in, in saying you know you can relatively early on in your career make amazing things happen and you know be a very high earner and do you know amazing things in your life it's relative it's not within your first year you know <laughs> so you know if you were to look at a snapshot of time over I don't know, three to five years and you said after five years all right okay so what's the opportunity through working in recruitment what's the opportunity day through a, diff a different career path, then recruitment is going to offer so much to the people that succeed. But yeah. actually, it's about what went in at the beginning, the foundations of that to make that happen. Um, and that's not for everybody, particularly when you think about it, you know, a lot of people that thrive in recruitment, they're not the most, most patient people. They're very action orientated. They're not necessarily thinking about, um, you know what might happen in the longer term it's a now more immediate um payoff so if that immediate payoff's off there then people are going to leave um it's not for everybody to, to put that investment in and, and the you know the disappointments and the, the failures and um that people experience that's not for everybody either no definitely um, i think one thing you said there and it's something i hear quite a lot is about that instant gratification if you, you look at it even in terms of our careers like 10 years ago it was a different marketplace you could potentially earn more money earlier on than you can now but ultimately recruitment still offers so many opportunities for those that are going to put in that time and that effort what do you think causes that high performance drive now for people so what can someone do in terms of their mindset to really allow themselves to, to push through those hard times like particularly now with the coronavirus what, what sort of suggestions would you have there um you need bags of grit <laughs> i mean it's grit i think I, I the way i i i view resilience as an outcome yeah in that you become you develop more resilience the more that you come through i don't think you're born with resilience basically i think it's something that i think it's a it's a nurture it's an environment thing um and i think you your resilience is tested in really tough times um but i think once you've come through the tough times you, you kind of you develop that resilience it's an outcome rather than a um just a character nature um 
I think it comes down to grit, determination. I mean, I'm talking about character, really, not just yeah. um, not not what you can do as such, but it's thinking about being gritty and what does that, how does that grittiness and that determination and that persistence, how does that play out? And I think it's about having a willingness to keep doing things to the best of your ability consistently and recognizing that what you, when you've got more opportunity in front of you, you know, you can afford to be less concerned about the detail of, of the effort that you put in. You know, let's say if you're, I don't know, you're, um, you're looking to win your clients, you're, you're business developing, whatever it might be. You know, two or three approaches might be enough. You know, you might get away with templates, emails, you might get away with, you know, a bit of a copy and paste job on an advert. It's still not, it's not great, it's not an example of the best work that can be done by any means, but you might, it might be enough for you to get the result. I think in more testing times, it's not enough. So you have to be more willing and prepared and ready to say, right, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to take, I'm going to make every interaction the best it can be in terms of not, not so much the time I've got on it, but the consideration, you know, what else can I do? What other options can, have I got to, um, to, to make an impact? You know, if I am communicating with a client or a client that I want to do business with, I'm not just going to send an email or a LinkedIn connection request. You know, I'm not just going to pick up the phone and have a conversation. I'm probably going to record a very personal video message and send that over to them because I've got to have as much impact as I possibly can and demonstrate why it's worth doing business with me. Um, to make that impact, you've got to stand out as some yeah. person to do business with because there's a lot more people trying to get that, that same piece of business as well. It's grittiness, determination, and really a willingness to do the best job that you can and to really focus on what people need right now. Definitely, um, definitely. And one thing I loved about what you said there is recording the video, something that I've never done, but I've seen utilized more and more. What, what sort of content would you have in an introduction video for a client that you've never spoke to before? Um, the same content I would have for any new client. I think it's all about building credibility through doing some research and doing your homework. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're, you're checking out their LinkedIn profile. You're, you're looking at what their business does. You're, you're finding common ground through common connections. You're finding something that you can say to them, um, shows that you've taken an interest in their business and what they do, um, which might be around something their business has done or achieved or um, made an impact with, but you're really connecting through, um, building credibility initially because you haven't got rapport you haven't got a relationship with it so all you can do is establish credibility and then when you present that credible um credibility you know you're also thinking about what value you can offer them how can you help them you know it's the same as you know we talk about L&D there's no point serving up a bit of training on a plate if it's not if it's something that somebody doesn't care about yeah. there's no point serving um, you know, CVs and candidate profiles if they're not what people care about right now. So you have to use, you have to use empathy and employ empathy, employ empathy skills to think about what is most important to my market right now? What do they care about most right now? How can I 
present them as something that they care about with credibility and with empathy and then do it in a way which is quite likable where you can start to build you can establish some rapport and then you can start to build a relationship definitely definitely it's crazy as well i suppose how sales has changed a lot in, in my perception anyway over like the last 20 or so years and one thing i see more is that emotional intelligence what for you what does it mean to be an empathetic person um it's it's funny because i don't think sales has changed at all okay. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm not disagreeing with you yeah. i think probably because for me when i was selling um you know i had to do the legwork i had to do the calls i had yeah. to do the research but my, i was always really successful by being empathetic and building relationships and likable and credible. So all of those things really, really stood true. Um, but in terms of what's it mean to be, to have empathy, I think it's all about thinking about what the other person needs and yeah. where they are at right now and what might be important to them and thinking about how you can serve them right now. So rather than, it's the intent, I think you can be more empathetic when you think about your intent. So instead of thinking, right, if I make this call or I have this interaction or I write this video, what can I get out of it? It's thinking about when I do this, what can I give this other person that will leave them feeling like that was worthwhile? And it is a feeling. It's a total feeling because it's that quote, isn't it? Um, people won't remember what you said and they won't remember what you did, but they will remember how you made them feel. So it's all about how you make people feel. And um, the more you can make people feel good and safe and confident and inspired, then all of those things, that, that they, they will have an impact. I had, um, God, just this week, yesterday, I had somebody WhatsApp me saying, oh, can you, um, you know, it was very templatey, you know, but how will I hope you well, I trust you well, same, same, same. You have to step away from templates. Yeah. Right now you've got to actually give this, this is not a shortcut. Those shortcuts will take you to a dead end. You've got to be really deliberate and really purposeful, I think, in how you're connecting with people and how you're engaging with people. Because it feels a little bit, oh, I hope you well, I hope trust you. And I was like, oh God, here we go. Um, I'm just tying up a few loose ends and, um, and then, you know, while we've got all this time and, um, you know, I never did get that recommendation from you. I was like, what, are you, are you kidding me? Yeah, you've come to me with some, for something for yourself. And it's like, oh, doesn't, it's not effective. Yeah. It just turns people off. People are looking for connections with people who are wanting to, to do things together and to help each other. It doesn't have to be one way. I'm not suggesting it's a one way street, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, you should be, purely serving and selfless um not at all because you know we've got businesses that we need to run and we've got we want to protect our you know our teams and our people and all of those things but it's about stepping in the shoes of how you can help somebody else go with that intent and thinking about what how you can stand out with that person to make them feel that um you're going to help them you're going to be a part of them moving forward yeah, I think what you said there has been so, so, so valuable, and particularly in terms of understanding what people feel and being able to react from that. I was listening to one of my trainees on a call, and I was calling the decision maker, and I think they said, how are you? And 
the decision maker just sounded quite low. And suddenly, rather than go all pitchy, which is what they usually would have done, they were going to spec in the candidate. Actually, they engaged that person on the human level. And yeah. ultimately... It's listening, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't even say the word listening, but it's, yeah, it's, it's actually listening <laughs> and, like, thinking about what am I hearing with this in this situation? Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, I mean, and that's the thing, isn't it? No call. That's what I love about sales, and that's what I love about recruitment. Is that it's a very human thing if you want it to be. You know, you can engage with people and have some of the most. No call should really ever be the same. You know, it, it because no client is the same, and no person that you're speaking to is the same. Um, but you've got to get present with it. You've got to get in that moment with that person and think about in that moment in time how best can you. Um, help that person through what you do and be okay with the fact if you can't you know if you can't that's fine you know some maybe you can refer somebody else or whatever it might be definitely 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 and obviously it's, it's funny just going back to a point you said earlier I think sometimes my perception of what sales used to be probably is a little bit marred because of what I don't is know your, what's your, <laughs> what is your perception of what it used to be you might be, you're probably right, but. <laughs> Before my dad was a, a recruiter, he was a FX trader. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. some of the things that I've heard are very, very Wolf of Wall Street-like. And I think it's funny, I, I was always into that more empathetic and sort of emotional intelligence type of sales. And yeah. also I'm a reflection of my first manager. Like my first manager and her boss, like Kat was very much winning by building relationships with people and understanding and being inquisitive. And then I had Jim, my area manager, who was like this detail oriented, call me every Monday morning, Ben, exactly how many temps have you got out right this second? How's yeah. that gonna change this week? And almost I'm that mirror of both of them, that empathetic approach, getting to understand someone. And also being very tangible and understanding numbers. And I think sometimes I, I look at certain environments that I've seen that were a bit sousy and people being a bit too pushy and a bit more aggressive. But equally, there's always been people that weren't like that. And I think one of the reasons why I suppose I love sales now is because there are so many differences that I see. I've got yeah. one trainee that is just on the phone all the time. Every conversation he has is 30 oh, yeah. minutes long. I've got another one he doesn't spend enough time on the phone and his call stats are always shy. And I said to him, ah, oh, if you bring me bad call stats and you're below target massively, you know, we're going to have a conversation. It was never below target because he uses LinkedIn massively effectively. Like, his, his social media is on point. Therefore he's able to know. Well, it depends what you consider to be the, the right, you know, what, if you consider, okay, what inputs are needed yeah. then for performance, doesn't it, you know, and I think traditionally, um, you know, we, the, there was limited, there wasn't as many channels to engage your clients. So, you know, the key indicator of um, activity was phone times. But the reality of it is that's not the only channel now that you can talk on. Um, I mean, I, my sales career started in, it was absolutely kind of hit the phones, smash the phones. 
we, I, I mean, in my sales environment, we didn't have a sit-down desk. It's a stand-up desk. Yeah. They, they, they come back in these days. It's all about what, what's fashionable, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> how very ergonomic we were back in 1999. <laughs> you know, they weren't like, sit-down desks. They were stand-up desks. Um, and we had head, headsets. Um, and mm, is it, headsets are coming back in. Like, <laughs> for a while, they were very call centre. Um, but now they're becoming quite the thing again. But we had headsets and they weren't wireless, unfortunately. So we had a limited space that you could pace while you were on the phone because, you know, you were standing stand and dial um, as well as smile and dial. Um, but the earpiece, so people could listen in, we didn't have some of the technology that you've got now, you know, where you're able to listen to calls and observe conversations. It was an earpiece that you were listening into. So because you had a headset and because you had, the, you didn't actually have a handset to put the phone down, so the phone was never down. But we didn't, we didn't have email. We were faxed in. Um, you know, one of my favourite sounds in the world is, is a fax machine ringing, because that was my deal coming back. Yeah. You know, another fax machine. God. <laughs> Some people they like a song. I like a fax machine ringing. Um, you know, but the the key measure of getting hold of people was. It was very out, it was all outbound sales. There was no inbound. It was all outbound. It was all car business. It was all new business. It was and on our only channel for getting through was the phone. Um, the only other option that we had was if we contacted somebody um, and we couldn't get them on the phone, we would ask if the um, switchboard could page could page somebody for us. Um, yeah, would you let them know it's Claire on the line from London? Because that sounded really global and professional. Um, and that's our own channel. But you know, you know what now we've got? You've got so many different channels. And recruitment isn't just an, an outbound activity. Outbound is critical. You know, you have to be proactive in building a market. But the ways in which you can do that, that's why it's changed. You know, you can you can engage through you, you can social sell, you can build um incredible content that's valuable you can build communities so you know you can you can build an audience through podcasting you can build an audience through a group or community through events through whether it's virtual or in person you can build um you can build following on social media you can create collateral content for things that people care about you know and all of these things are gonna um let your audience know that you're there yeah. um obviously you have to also have a conversation with people. So there's still that nature of reaching out, but it's a much more blended approach. And I don't think the same inputs, the same level are necessarily the right or the most effective blend. I think it is about now thinking about, well, actually, okay, you've got, um, obviously you want to have outbound calls. You want to do want to reach out with people. I think it's been more targeted and more strategic um, and instead of, you know, that whole scenario of um, having a yellow page just put in front of you and say, and now make some money. <laughs> it's, it's a, there's a little bit more sophistication and thought in it. Exactly. When business development Not, was... Yeah. <laughs> I, I do remember it though. Like business development was, oh, okay, I'll start with the companies beginning with A today or I'm going to go for E today. Whereas now like, you wouldn't do that. And I, I actually remember running a training session. It was a couple of years ago. And I said, how do you choose who to call? And someone literally said, well, I just do it in alphabetical order. 
and that was almost the face. Do you know what? You are not wrong. There, the so many people I've sat down with and said, "All right, like let's talk. Let's talk me through. You know who your target market is. You know who who you're targeting. Who you're looking to bit to develop business with, um, and how you're prioritising that. And it's literally it's organised in A to Z because that's how it's organised. It's an A to Z. There's no. Let's think about okay, actually, where is the best opportunity who are the biggest users in my market you know thinking about right okay actually who's hiring now where i can get some velocity we're gonna get some speed and you know where we've got traction and where's the value business it, it, it's an eight to head call um which you know i think you know you, you can get results from it's just not not as effective you've got to do more of it that's when you're playing the volume game isn't it you know you've got to do more of it Definitely, definitely. Like when you're you're speaking to someone, how do you help them find out who they should call first? Obviously, you said a couple of really sort of important things: volume of usage. What what sort of uh, things are important to you as an indicator of whether to call a client or not? Um, I think it's understanding what they what 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 are they what type of market are they trying to build. Yeah. Um. So you you. The, the key thing with anything is to begin with the end in mind, isn't it? Is think about what am I building to, um, and what does that look like? You know, so if it, if you you know what's the revenue target because that's a big part of it. What's the revenue target? Of course it is. You know, we're, we're you know a key part of, of a revenue stream. So um, what's the revenue target? What's the um, potential opportunity in terms of if you're working in a space, you know, thinking about what impact is that particular market having on the wider world and the wider industry that that's, that's within. Um, so I think beginning with the end goal in mind is, is huge. I think thinking about um, where is the focus supposed to be? You know, is it going to be focusing by a particular niche skill or role? Is it about being focused in a particular location is it you know is it contract is it perm is it by industry so just getting the feel for actually where, where are we where are we actually focusing because you do need to focus yeah. if you don't focus in recruitment it's really hard to scale performance um, and that's the key it's about scaling performance we all know in recruitment the first couple of years are the hardest it's not supposed to stay that hard mm. um, you know you don't want to be operating at ground zero um always at that level i don't think you could i think you would i think that's when you get burnout yeah. um you know you're hoping that you can build something that's scalable and, and the things that become scalable in recruitment are your market knowledge are the, the relationships that you have the people that you know and the people that you've got proof of ability with the people that you've got reputation with um the people that you work with on an ongoing basis now if, if you haven't got a focus it's very hard to, to scale up and and achieve all of those things because you, you start from scratch all the time or you or you're never seeing something through because you start in one space and then jump onto the next so if i was talking about where who should people should call from a client perspective i'd, I'd be thinking about where we're we trying to get to what's yeah. the goal breaking it all down understanding where their focus is understanding where their niche is um what opportunity what does good look like you know understanding what type of um role what's that what what does good look like in terms of the role are, are we looking for fees with high volume low margin are we looking for better margin um you know 
working higher up the chain in terms of the roles and the, the placement opportunity you know what is the business opportunity first um that we're trying to create and then as i say working it backwards and, and helping people to understand that if you've got a list how are you prioritizing it you know are you thinking about well um is it that we, we've got relationships there yeah. it's a quicker return because we've got some kind of opportunity connection that we can work with is it thinking about um, that they are active in the market right now, that there is this, the strong reasons, there's compelling hiring reasons for them to be engaging with a particular type of profile or particular skill set, whatever that might be. Um, I mean, we all know about the impact. I don't know, <laughs> like, <laughs> often I talk about PESL as thinking about what might be influencing a particular market, and we talk about the political, economical, or economic even, <laughs> economical, uh, social, technology, and we go through it and, and a big part of that is the, and one of them is environment and i think we are living at the moment in the impacts of um, legislation we had ir35 the political the brexit piece and then obviously the, the environment and the social as coronavirus we, we are kind of in that moment of, of living it all um but because of those those factors there will be businesses that are turning up the hiring or turning down the hiring accordingly and it's about giving some consideration as to where there is opportunity right now um ultimately you need to be a lead generator yeah. you know it's gaining intel business intelligence and understanding who needs you right now who's going to care about having a conversation with you definitely definitely particularly in like right now's market because it's it's going to be a weird one what i suppose you wouldn't necessarily want to do is completely pivot your entire business because you realize okay this market is going to be slow for a couple of months whereas in the long term it could be better well based on i suppose the situation at the moment what do you think the most effective thing for i suppose a, a newer recruiter is going to be today at the moment with the market being where it's at what would be the most effective, say that again? The most effective thing for a newer recruiter to be doing at the moment in terms of looking at how do they build a, a long-term desk over the next five years, what should they be doing right now? Um, I think you've, you've obviously got to work with your more experienced people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, don't just pluck a market out the air. Uh, so I think there's a couple of things that I'd be thinking about. I'd be thinking about right, where have we got expertise already yeah. as a business? So where have we got established relationships? So you might not have the relationships just yet, but where can you leverage off those relationships? You can't go in and assume that they're your relationships because you're not, they're not yours, but you can leverage from them and you can, you can work from those. So I think focus on where there is expertise and success already. There's no point working in an industry or a market that the business has never worked in necessarily right now, because chances are there's another agency that's doing it really well that's got relationships yeah so consider where your, your your relationships are right now and adapt you know and we, we talk about pivoting um there will be some i think the pivot is actually from things like from offline to online yeah. from in person to virtual that's the pivot then you want to leverage what what have you already got as a base in terms of your relationships your existing clients um your existing what, what have you got already that you can build on you so you're not starting from scratch and then for a newer recruiter i think i would be focusing heavily on market mapping you know map out the market understand 
the role, you know, who the, the, the roles are, um, who the target clients, who are the biggest users, um, get very up to speed with technology and the language of the market and the, the reason why a particular, uh, I say technology only because I do a lot of space in tech, let's move tech away, sorry, you know, I'm going to have it in tech, in tech head there, um, but think about the market and whatever the market is, if someone's hiring a particular um, type of role or skill set, what impact does that have for the business? Why is that role in existence in the first place? What is the need for it? Because the more you can understand the need in your market and the trends and how the need for that hire is, um, the more you, I guess, the more you understand why your clients, the target people you want to work with, need the people that you could recruit, then you'll be better placed to, to have those business development conversations. So right now, leverage off existing relationships, market map, market map, find out from a client side and from a candidate side. Um, start engaging with people. And what I mean by engaging with people, interacting through um, conversation, communication, sharing content, building your brand in a way that's going to help them right now. And make them feel good. Whatever it is, just make them feel good. Definitely. I think this, this is the time to be a value-driven recruiter and, and to yeah. focus on making people feel as good as possible in a difficult time and, and showing that empathy as well and acknowledging it, it's not going to be easy out there. There are companies that they might not necessarily appreciate a, a candidate being specced to them right now, but they probably appreciate some real value given to them. And equally, other companies would love candidates to be specced to them right now because companies would do one of either two things within this marketplace, really consolidate their position or they'll leverage it and try and expand as how, like as quickly as possible. And I, I'm not sure about you, don't get me wrong, I know that the market has slowed, but I also do know recruitment agencies that have hired people within these times. I'm, I'm doing some onboarding yeah. for two, two guys that, that their offer was made in March and they started on the 1st of April and there was a big leadership thing of, okay, well, how do we do this? And the reality is technology like Zoom does allow us to onboard people remotely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's, um, you know, I think depending on what market you're in, it's, it's going to be, it's going to have different um, impacts. Of course, you know, if, if you built your market in, a, in some sectors, you know, those sectors have just come to a halt. But, we'll, you know, understand what are they likely, is it just a pause button? And while whilst that pause button's on, what can we do that will add value? And it, you know, through these moments, I think there's going to be a lot of creativity in terms of how our industry can um, add value to clients in a different way, which may change, you know, some of the business models that we work in. You know, contingent recruitment has been around for quite a long time. Maybe, you know, it will have a place, and maybe something else will be. Be, be in place as well. I think, you know, there are new opportunities to, to think about in these markets. But a lot of it as well, you know, is coming at it with a, a mindset that will help you succeed, you know, recognize them that your mindset, this is a, a, a big, there's a big thing around mindset that you've got to go in knowing, believing that you can win. And you can. You can, it's tough and it's hard, but you can absolutely win and you've got to be up for 
up for that fight, I think. To move forward. And I think, and I know I'm not the only one that says this, but post-recession tends to be one of the ultimate times as a recruiter, particularly if you're doing contract or temp, because there is that uncertainty. Like Mid-2010 to 2011 was probably the, the best, mm. I almost am financially. I was doing industrial recruitment in a small company that I was in talks with, suddenly bought all the uh, Woolworth stock and created pound stretcher so that was amazing for me suddenly they're like oh ben yeah we need uh, 110 people of every day right. cool i think this is the thing what what yeah. i'm saying to a lot of people is what we do over the next six months will determine the next 10 years of our life because we we both know that recruitment can be a very long uh, lucrative industry in the long term but like if anyone new has this mindset of making money right now it's not necessarily realistic to think okay i can make 100k in my first year of recruitment yeah, but could, could you do that before <laughs> exactly no we just kind of had like this we just kind of maybe thought that we could when it's for most people it's you know that's going to come you know end of year two into year three year three year four yeah. is the truth you know um you know there's always going to be outliers and you know exceptions to, to rules and things but um yeah i think it's a, it's a definitely a building building phase. And for anybody that's in the space right now who is thinking about, you know, the markets that they're building and the relationships that they're building, when you succeed in these tough markets, and when I say tough, it's tough because you've got to work hard, you've got to you've got to draw on that character, you've got to be gritty, you've got to be determined, you've got to fight, you've got to, you know, know and know in your your heart that you are gonna really go for it. Um, you come out stronger. Because you're really tested, it's like you're. Um, <laughs> it makes me think of Game of Thrones, and um, you know you're either a summer child or a winter child. And when, when you've had, you know, if you've been, if you've only ever had to get results in in the sunny, sunny conditions when there's more available, it's there's a lot, it's a lot more plentiful. You can't obviously you can, you're going to be tested when there's less. Yeah. And I think if you can if you can make it work now, then it will serve you so so well. Yes, so well. Definitely, definitely, Claire. I think that's a great point to end the podcast. But thank you so so much for this. This has been so valuable, and I, I really hope you've had a great experience as well. Oh, you know, I could keep going for a couple of hours. Now. <laughs> I, I could tell. I thought, okay, we're, we're hitting that that this, point. This is part one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We'll definitely have to be part two, though, because I, I could tell this was a conversation just getting started, and there's so much more to, I think, talk about. But, Claire, thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much. Right, anyone that's listening, make sure you connect with Claire Mohammed on LinkedIn, one of the leading trainers in the UK. She's built her own sort of, with uh, collaboratively, her own community of L&D professionals, and it's probably tapped into more about how recruiters can perform than other people, simply because you're surrounded with all of the people training all the recruiters. Claire, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.